Advent is the season of waiting, and as Nikolai said, anticipating, just as we came off this anticipating campaign. And we as a congregation are learning what it means to anticipate, to eagerly await. We learn that anticipating is not passive. It's not lay back in your lounge chair, which I might hopefully be doing this afternoon, watching the Patriots. Probably falling asleep. <laughs> but it's, it's active. Anticipating is active. It, it's eagerly awaiting, living out the present, the right now, the future promise reality. I will be right now the person in which God has created me, finished me, completed me to be. I will live out that reality right now. Another way of saying is Advent teaches us to live in the futuristic present. Futuristic present. So I'll think about it this way. God has declared us righteous in the past. Right, He will complete us in the future. And right now, we live out the reality that he's declared us, and he will complete us, that we're her, and we live out that reality right now in the midst of this darkness. Fleming Rutledge says it this way, in Advent, we celebrate the past, God's initiative toward the world in Christ. We celebrate what he, the first incarnation, the first advent of Christ, the first appearance of Christ, this gift. And Advent, we also celebrate the future, God's coming victory in Christ, his, his second coming, when he will come to end all this, and they'll bring peace forevermore in the new heavens and the new earth. And in Advent, we celebrate the present, the cruciform shape, the cross-shaped life of love that we are to live out for the world right now and think about how we experience that throughout all of the liturgical season that 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 present tense that we learn to live out and right now we, we specifically in, in lent right a cruciform existence in easter a cruciform existence that we lay down our lives so that others may know who god is heaven is about the past the present and the future in our reality in advent we live out our future in the present, not in some distant sky or some distant place, but we live out heaven right now, kingdom come in this world of darkness, in this world filled with pain. And we do it through our suffering until he comes again. And all of this is true, this, this past, this present, and this future reality, all of this is true is because we are united in Jesus, united in his death and resurrection. We, we had a baptism. We're going to have other baptisms. And those symbols of baptism is that we are united to Jesus in his death and in his resurrection, in new life. And this Advent, we're going to be exploring through the chapter 8, of the book of Romans. Now, you may say, aren't you preaching through the gospel of John? But you know I get distracted. Uh, and so actually, uh, last, like last Advent, we have uh, four pastors and I are, are, are coming together, and we study this together, and we're going to preach through this together because like, this is a message of Advent that we all want to preach through. Uh, so if you go online, you're going to hear four messages on Romans 1 through 8 or 1 through 13 from different pastors. We're all going to speak differently, even though we had the same prep. So we're going to go through Romans, these next four, eight, uh, four weeks. 
through Romans 8, which is perhaps, in my estimation, the most beautiful piece of Scripture. But let me give you a two-minute synopsis of the book of Romans, right? An easy book to give you a quick review about, because I'm sure you all have it memorized in detail, right? First of all, Paul writes this letter to the Roman church uh, because they're divided, uh, what, what happened in Rome is that uh, the Jewish Christians were kicked out of Rome for about five years, and they came back, and what's typical, and when you have Gentile, non-Jewish Christ, uh, believers, and then Jewish Christians, there is conflict. Mostly that conflict is over ceremonial uh, Jewish laws, and whether they have to obey them or not. Paul talks about it other ways, uh, in the book of Galatians, uh, and the book of Acts kind of deals with this as well. And so there's this internal conflict in the church in Rome, and so Paul is addressing that because he wants the church to be unified. And so he also wants a, a clear message of the gospel, and in Romans is the, is the most robust and clear message of the gospel that Paul gives. And part of that is that Paul's hoping that the Roman church would be a staging ground to send missionaries even further west to Spain and, and who knows where. So let's go and quickly describe what happens in chapter 1. Chapter 1, Romans, all humanity is trapped in sin, is enslaved to sin. Uh, chapter 2, uh, the rescue from sin won't happen by obeying the moral law. In chapter 3, the rescue from sin happens through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And chapter 4, God is creating a faith-based, multi-ethnic family for his people. So it's not based on blood, but it's based, uh, the family or the people of God is based on faith. Do you trust in God? Chapter 5, God is creating a new humanity through Jesus. He's rebooting humanity through his son, Jesus Christ. And that's the death and resurrection. And chapter 6, following Jesus means... Dying to the old self, leaving the old self away. It's that an old self is the humanity of Adam and following the new humanity of Jesus. In chapter 7, the question is, what is the point of the moral law? If you ask the high school Sunday schoolers, they would give you this answer, right? They just learned it today. They all know it. I could ask them right now. I won't to spare them from the embarrassment uh, of being up front. The point of the moral law, clearly the point of the moral law is one, is to reveal our evil heart, all of us, to reveal God's character, who God is. That is the summary of the Ten Commandments and all the moral law. This is who God is, who we are not, but who God is creating us to be. This is who God is rebooting humanity to be. And the solution in chapter 8 the solution to all this is Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Jesus and the Holy Spirit is how God solves this. And this is actually a, if you want to understand Romans 8, it's actually all about sanctification. That word is not used in Romans 8, but it's all about sanctification. Paul has made a big a case about justification, and now he's telling us about what sanctification is, about how God is changing us. And more clearly, I want you to understand that we are, we are justified, we are declared right in Christ in what he has done by faith. And by that, this is what Roman 8, this, this push to us, and we're going to explore this each and every week. We are given because he declares us 
just in Christ that we're given a new status, that we're, we're, we're made right with God and we're forgiven, a new status. We're given a new family. We're going to talk about that next week. We're given a new family. We're included in God's people. And then we're given a new future, which we are a transformed life, that we are made into a new reality. And then the fourth week, we're going to summarize all those things in the end of chapter 8. So new status, a new family, and a new future. This is what God is doing for us. And today we're going to talk about to see how that new status is both given by Jesus. This new status is given by Jesus at the cross, declared to us in the past tense. It's also empowered by the Holy Spirit right now and transforming us into this new status to live for God. And so there's three things about this new status. The new status gives us a new freedom, a new mindset, and a new responsibility. The new status gives us a new freedom. Romans 8, 1 through 4. Hear it clearly. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that for the purpose of, for the reason of the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. The issue is that we're all enslaved to sin. We're all enslaved to sin and death and unable to be righteous, unable to be righteous like God. And, I, and this is a word that we throw out all the time, righteousness or righteous. And so here's what I want to give you a clear definition of what that is. Righteousness is this. It's God's character. And God's character, he, does, he always does what is just and what is right. So that is God's character. When we, so when we talk about righteous, we talk about what is always just and what is always right. And the other thing I want you to think about, I want you to put a pin in this one, is that God's righteousness is that he is faithful to his promises, meaning he always does what he says he's going to do. He is faithful to his promises. And as, as we who follow them that live in Advent, we hold on to God's promises. This is our hope, that this is God is righteous, that he is faithful and always does what he says he's going to do. So the problem is, is that that description of righteous, that's who God is. That doesn't really describe you and I very well. We do not always do what is just, and we don't always do what is right, and we know we don't always keep to our promises. We make lots of empty promises. But this new status in which God gives us at the cross is that we're no longer condemned. We're no longer judged for our unrighteousness. In fact, well, we are judged, but that judgment gets placed upon Christ at the cross. He is our substitute, and he takes the penalty for us. Jesus bears our sin. He takes the penalty for our unrighteousness, which is death. He's condemned on our behalf. But that's not the only thing that happens at the cross. He forgives. 
but that's not the only thing that happens over us. Christ imputes, gives us his righteousness, which is foreign to us. I want you, this is really clear. It is foreign to us. He gives us. So when the Father sees us, because we're united in Jesus, he sees Jesus' righteousness. And Jesus and the Father are one. They are, he is always right, and he is always just. And he always keeps his promises. He is righteous. So I want, we are seeing right today when the Father looks at us, he doesn't see your sin. That's been nailed to a cross. He sees the faithfulness and the obedience of his son. That's been declared. That's a new status that we are declared righteous. You're like, that doesn't make sense. I want you to, to hold on to this idea. This new status also is, is a declared righteous. This new status, it is sets us free from the way of sin and death, from the principle, from the, from the law, but more understanding, from the way of sin and death, to walk in this righteousness in which he declared us to have. The spirit of life, the Holy Spirit, God, allows us to walk in his ways and you're united in Jesus' death and resurrection. So when we are united in Jesus, he gives us his spirit. He declares us righteous, but he also gives us his spirit so that we begin to live out. We have the ability to live out that declared righteousness, which is not ours, but it will be finished one day. This is really a kind of an important concept. We are declared righteous. You have that status right now. But the status also, he says, I'm giving you the Holy Spirit because that status in you, your righteousness, your character, which I don't see right now, I just see my son, it will be changed. I am changing it. My Holy Spirit is, it dwells within you and is changing it. And on, on the other side of heaven, it will be complete. I will finish. God will finish it. It's not our responsibility to finish his work. We live in it. The, the previous obedience to the Mosaic law, the Ten Commandments, is impossible because our enslavement to sin and death, the obedience of the law in our own ability is unable because we are, we are unable to do this because we're trapped and enslaved to sin and death. But Christ sets us free through the Holy Spirit. Jesus' death and the gift of the Holy Spirit gives us a new status to walk in the righteousness in which he's declared us to have. God's character. To do what is right. To keep promises. And so you and I no longer have to sin. We now have the ability not to sin. But of course you and I still sin, don't we? We still sin, and this is what this struggle will look like and what Romans 8 is going to talk about. But now we are actually free and have the ability actually to walk in the ways of life and not death. Jesus gives us, the Lord gives us a new status. He also gives us, uh, 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 gives us a new status by giving us a new freedom, and he gives us a new status by giving us a new mindset. Romans 8, 5 through 8. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. For those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life 
and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So here we are. We are in this tension because we're given the spirit of flesh and death. And I just want you to see it clearly this, this parallel of these things. So there's the flesh and the old humanity that we live in and the spirit in the new humanity. The, the old humanity, we walk and live. Both these things are walking and living are actually actions, our lived out character in our lives. One, flesh sets your minds on sin and death. When you set your mind on sin and death, you are hostile to God. You cannot please God. You do not submit to God's law. You do not submit to his character. And more than that, you actually says you cannot. You do not have the ability. You do not have the desire to do so. And the, the hammer is God doesn't dwell with you. On the other side, when God gives you his spirit, when Jesus has died for you and God gives you his spirit, this new humanity that is awakening in you, we walk and live. These are actions. These are actions that actually come about in our lives. We set our mind on life. We set our mind on things that are above, that things from God. We set our mind on God. And we have peace with God. And peace is not this idea of this lack of hostility, it's actually this harmony with God, that we live in harmony and in right relationship. And we can please God. We actually submit to God's law and to his character. In Romans 1.5, it actually talks about this is the obedience of faith. This is why he writes the book of Romans, and so that we would have the obedience of faith. Not the obedience to the law, but the obedience of faith. And the obedience of faith, of trusting God, actually plays out is that we actually can live out God's character, which he is writing on us. So therefore, we actually can obey the law. And here's the kicker. All of this is possible because God dwells in us. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. This new status allows us to change how we think what we desire, and how we act. The indwelling Holy Spirit changes our mind and our perspectives and allows us to live God's character, allows us to obey the moral law, and allows us actually to want to obey it. God gives us a new freedom, this new status by giving us a new freedom, and this new status gives us a new mindset, and this new status uh, gives us a new responsibility. A new responsibility. I, I actually want to backtrack a little bit here. Because this indwelling spirit, in, eight, in Romans 8, 9 through 11, it says, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. You remember how it's been saying in Christ? Now it's saying in the spirit. You are in the spirit. If, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. Remember, we've been talking about understanding that we belong to God. But if, if Christ is in you, although the body of, is in dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to you, to your mortal bodies through the spirit who dwells in you. And a simple thing, 
the Holy Spirit raised Jesus from the grave. That same Spirit that raised Jesus from the grave dwells in you. And that same Spirit will resurrect you in the same power that resurrect Jesus. Not just in physical form, which it will, but in spiritual form right now. You have a new mind because the Spirit indwells in you. You are being sanctified into your righteousness. The righteousness that has been declared, you are being sanctified, made into that righteousness which is completed in the future. You have been justified in the past. You are being sanctified right now, present tense. Declared to be new, you are being made new, and you will be new. The mindset that God gives us is to live and act, not passive, but to think differently, to believe differently, and to be different, which leads us to the third new status. There's a new freedom, there's a new mindset, and there's a new responsibility. Romans 8, 12 to 13. So then, brothers and sisters, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if you, by the, the Spirit, will put death, the deeds of the body, you will live. Since we have a new status in Christ, in the Spirit, we have died to Him. The old humanity is dying. The new humanity is emerging in us. In Christ, we have been resurrected by the Spirit. By the Spirit, we are no longer owe a debt to the dead self. This old self is dead. Payment has been canceled. But we still owe a debt. We still owe a debt to the new self. To the new self, to God, who's creating this new self. And the debt we owe to God is love. That's the debt we owe. What has God done for you? Primarily, he's loved you. I mean, there's lots of things, right? He's died, he's resurrected, he's given you a spirit, he's given you new life, but all that is because he loves you. And so the debt you owe is love. Romans 13, 8 through 10 talks about this one, this way. Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. Any other commandment are summed up in this one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. We owe a debt to God, and that debt is to love God. And the way God actually says, you want to love me, you love your neighbor. The two go hand in hand. You can't love God without loving your neighbor. It is not love. And you can't actually love your neighbor without loving God. And the primary way this works, I mean, you can do all the things that are seemingly loving to God, but I'm um, loving your neighbor. But if you don't actually love God, you are not testifying to the truth and the reality and the character of who God is. And they will not know what love is. And therefore, you are not loving your neighbor. The primary way uh, to love God. Not the only way. The primary way is to love your neighbor. The primary way to love your neighbor is to communicate the truth in your words and actions about who God 
is. We owe a debt to God. In our old self, we owe a debt to the moral law in which we could not pay. But here's the interesting thing about this debt. We couldn't do it. Now we owe a debt to the Spirit, to God, of love. And you know what love is? The moral law. The moral law is the summary of God's character, which is all defined as love. That character and righteousness of God is love. The new responsibility is not obedience to the law, but obedience to love, which, by the way, is actually what the law is. To love. You summarize all the Ten Commandments. It's actually learning to love. How do you love properly? It's, it's not, the, see, what's, what's different here is that one is external and one is internal that goes to external. God is changing the inward motivation, the character to meet an external requirement. All of us, all of us are, are required to be righteous. God knows that we can't, so he takes the penalty of our sin and he gives us his righteousness, and in the midst of giving his righteousness, he gives us the spirit to change us in this righteousness so that one day we will actually be righteous by his power. And that righteousness, primarily you want to know what to do is right, is to love. And we could talk more about how love is and what love is not, but primarily it is love. This is all God's doing. The new status that we are righteous is given to us at the cross. The new status is being manifested by the Spirit in the present day so that we will be completely sanctified, set apart, righteous in our character. This is the work of God. This is the work of God in our life. In Advent, we celebrate and remind ourselves what Christ has done for us. We celebrate the present what the Spirit is doing right now, manifesting this righteousness that's declared in us and living out a cruciformed, Christ-like existence in the world by laying down our lives, which is, he gives us, is the ultimate example of love. Lay down your life for the benefit of others. And we celebrate and remind ourselves of the future that Christ will come again and our past and present declarations and reality of the new status will be fully realized. I think a way of, of understanding, I was trying to think, how, how can I fully understand this kind of weird kind of reality in which we are? And the reality, there are things like this all the time in our life, which are declared but not real yet. That are given and but yet not fully realized in our lives. And one way to think about this is uh, the Emancipation Proclamation. It was given in 1963. 1963 was the Emancipation Proclamation. I'm sorry, 1863. Whatever. It's still not fully realized. 1863 in the Civil War, or in the middle of the Civil War, Abraham declares this, right? Actually has to violate the Supreme Court to do this. He declares it, but we know it's not fully realized in the slave's life. It's not until the end of 1865, the Civil War ends, and it's still not fully realized. It becomes more and more realized. At the end of 1865, there's the 13th Amendment, which actually theoretically frees the slaves. But we know in reality, 
what is declared is not fully realized. And even still today, you know, it's improved. I think more people are realizing those freedoms. It's not fully realized. We get that in lots of ways in our life in which things are declared but not fully. That is the imperfect one because that's declared by humans and promises by humans. And we know what humans do. We break promises. But the reality is God has declared us righteous. God doesn't live in time. He's living this out for us in time. And he is going to make us righteous through his Holy Spirit. And he's already completed this. It will be done because what he says will be done. And rally, all of this is a gift because if he made our character righteous and removed our sin that quickly, it would be too painful of a process for us. Because you know, just encountering one sin in your life and try to pluck that away, how hard that is. Imagine all of them. And you can't even imagine all of your sin. That's God's grace. His steadfast love for us. For us in Christ, our new status of righteousness is declared in the past, being transformed in the present, and it will be reality when he comes again. That, that, that second definition of righteous, God does what he promises. God does what he promises. That's what righteousness is. Until then, until that moment, our new status gives us a new freedom to live out that righteousness. It gives us a new mindset to desire and to live out that righteousness. And this new status gives us a new responsibility to live out that righteousness in love. Let us pray. Gracious Father, loving Son, comforting and convicting Holy Spirit, I give you thanks that you are one God ever present in our life. That you are a God that is working in us and for us and through us. I thank you for this, this new status to be in right relationship with you. This new status to be free, to live out the character of love and not tied to the ways of sin and death and the world, Lord. We ask that you continually change us and transform us and sanctify us this day. We, Lord, we, we know it's painful to die, but we know it's glorious to live. And so we thank you for this death to the old and resurrection to the new. Lord, continue to be in the presence of this community and this congregation as we grow together in your character. We give you praise and all glory for your love. And all God's people said, amen.